Tomorrow night is the birthday of the Baal Shem Tev and the birthday of the Alter Rebbe. And I want to tell you a story of the Baal Shem Tev. It's customary anyways. They say stories of the Baal Shem Tev on, uh, after Shabbos. It says it's a blessing to have Parnosa. Blessing to have... Stop, stop, stop. Shake those. Rosie. Thanks. It's a blessing to have all good things. As previous Rebbe said, it's not only on after Shabbos, but all the time, not only the Baal Shem Tev, but all Tzadikim, not only a blessing for finances, but a blessing for all the things, but certainly a story of Baal Shem Tev is appropriate, and uh, especially as we're coming close to his birthday. One of the major themes of the month of Elul is how the king is in the field. And how the Alter Rebbe says, Hashem is like a king who comes to a field and he greets everyone with a beautiful face, he shows everyone a smiling face. And the Rebbe emphasizes that he uses two phrases. He accepts everyone with a beautiful face and he shows everyone a smiling face. And these two phrases are very specific. Everyone who's not with the king, where are they? If they want to go greet the king, they're not with the king, where are they? So where they are is, they're in a spiritual desert. They're spiritually in a state of a desert. And they know the king is their king and they want to be with him, but they, it's hard for them because they're used to being away from the king, they're used to doing things which aren't so good. So to leave the desert and come to greet the king is, is friction, it's difficult. So the, the king accepts everyone with a beautiful face. What that means is, he accepts their efforts. They're trying to greet him, he accepts it, he has pleasure from it, and he, and he accepts it with a beautiful face, he accepts it with great pleasure. And he shows them a smiling face, is a second phrase. That second phrase means, besides the pleasure that, that the king has from people trying to greet him, even though they can't make it to the field because it's hard for them, and he still accepts their efforts with a beautiful face, accepts it with great pleasure, besides that he shows them a smile. What does that smile mean? A smile means it doesn't just have pleasure because of the efforts that they have to greet him. The pleasure the king has is being with his people. He loves his people. There is his people, and he loves them just who, just because there is people, not because of anything they do. And Torah says, when you, when you look in the water, what do you see? Reflection of your face. So when you feel a certain way of someone, about someone, what happens to their heart? You know what happens? Hey, you know what happens? When you look at someone, when you feel some, a certain way about someone, you know what happens in their heart? They feel the same about you. So if the king has such great pleasure in all of his people, what happens? They have great pleasure in the king because his pleasure is in his people that causes his people to have great delight to be close to their king. So the same is also with Hashem. Hashem has pleasure from our Torah, pleasure from our mitzvahs. The greatest pleasure Hashem has is because we're his children. Every Jewish man and woman and child, boy and girl, is a child of Hashem. And Hashem shows us His pleasure that He has in us. When we feel Hashem's pleasure He has in us, that makes us have a pleasure in Him. And it gives us the inspiration to leave the desert and to greet the King, which means to be close to Hashem, to do what Hashem asks us to do. To decide from now on to, do, to accept Hashem as our King, to follow Hashem. So on that note, this idea of the King in the field, it's very related to the stories I want to share with you tonight. Stories about how the Baal Shem Tev reached out to certain people 
who didn't feel any connection to Judaism, didn't know that, that where they should go, and the Baal Shem Tov reached out personally, individually to them, through his various um, emissaries in Hasidim, to inspire them that they should be able to leave the desert they were in and greet the king in the field. So the, the stories I'm going to share with you tonight are authentic stories that were written by the previous Rebbe in his memoirs. And these stories were written in the context of a story, meaning there was a chassid of the Baal Shem Tev, his name was Emnissen, and he lived in a small town called Harki. And his son, Yitzhak Shol, uh, befriended another man named Rabbarach. And Yitzhak Shol was a son-in-law of a blacksmith named Eliezer Ruvein. And in the previous episode of his memoirs, he talks about the conversations that Yitzhak Shol, the Shasad of Al Shemtiv, the son of Rabnissin, who was a, uh, um, a leader, a Hasidic leader, um, he, he discusses how Reb, um, Yitzhak Shol inspired his brothers in law and inspired this Reb Baruch to, to consider the ways of Hasidus and to learn about the ways of Hasidus. So the whole book of memoirs is written, a lot of it is written in this dialogue between Yitzhak Shol and Baruch, explaining to him what Hasidus is about and how special it is. And in this conversation, he tells him two stories, among other stories. So I'm going to share two of the stories he shared tonight about the Baal Shem Tev, which highlight this idea of reaching out to every individual Jew and bringing them to where they need to be. Okay? This will give us some insight in the way the Baal Shem Tev, and not just the way the Baal Shem Tev, but as Rebbe said, we're all supposed to learn from Baal Shemta, just like Baal Shemta was a teacher's assistant, and he helped inspire people, little kids, but to have simple faith in Hashem. So too, we're supposed to be students of the Baal Shemta in the same way, and emissaries of the Rebbe in the same way, and to reach out to other Jews, and to realize that how special they are, and to bring out their Nisham in them. L'chaim, l'chaim, Shol is sitting there with his brothers-in-law, sons-in-law of Rabbi Yezer Ruvain and his friend Rebarach. And he's sharing with him the stories of Hasidim. One of his brother-in-law, Rabbi Shalab, is very curious about Rabbi Yitzhak Shol's father, Rabbi Nissen. You know, he never told us that he was a Hasid. He never said that. We knew he was a Torah scholar. We never knew he was a follower of the Malshemtiv. That, was, that wasn't really discussed. Yitzhak Shol said it wasn't discussed because a Hasid won't try to um, discuss things to, with someone that may not uh, be um, aware of, of what, what it is. Anyways, but he started talk to, talking to his to Rebarach and to Ramesh Leib, told him the following two stories. Here's the story number one. Story number one is this. There was a um, certain rabbi in Araki, the place where Yitzhak Shol's father moved to, and became the leader of the Hasidim in Araki, a small group of undercover Hasidim. And the time of Baal Shem Tev was the Hasidim were all, they were, they used to um, pretend that they were regular people, that they were not knowledgeable in Torah, nor they should be able to mingle with regular people and inspire them by being part of their, their environment, part of where, you know, not just not leading them from above, but being close to them and friends with them and teaching them such special things that the Baal Shem Tev told them to share. So, Reb, Yitzhak Shol said that in the city of Harki, there was a rabbi named Rab Nachman Yitzchak. Rab Nachman Yitzchak 
had a yeshiva with 20 students. And these 20 students were all very gifted. But the most gifted of all of the students was a student named Lipa Baruch. Lipa Baruch memorized entire books of Talmud with Gemara, with Tosfos, verbatim. He was very, very smart. Not only was he very smart, he was also very friendly. And he was very frum, very religious. And not only was he so smart and very friendly, his, his, um, he, he was also gifted in music too. He was a very, very gifted in all areas in life. So his teacher, Nachum Yitzchak, came time for him to find a match to get married. He thought he would be very good to marry into the family of a certain man named Tzadik Hill. Tzadik Hill was a very wealthy man. He, he was entrusted by a certain uh, nobleman named Rutefka. Rutefka had this huge area that he owned. Uh, he was a nobleman, a Polish nobleman, and he had um, mills and lakes and, and fields. And he, um, many people uh, earned a livelihood by, um, by working for him and taking care of various parts of his estate. And he entrusted his entire estate to this Sadakilo. Sadakilo had his own estates too, besides being the manager for Rutefka, he also had his own estates of mills and, and lakes and rivers. And so he, Sadakilo, was also a very special person. He um, made it very easy for Jews to earn a livelihood. He would um, give Jews various parts of the estate, like inns or the fishing rights and, and mills. Were very cheap prices, and if someone couldn't afford it, he gave them for free. And he became very beloved by everyone, all the Jews, because he took care of them. And Yitzchak Hill also he paid for this yeshiva, Rav Nachman Yitzchak, and therefore um, he was very beloved by Rav Nachman Yitzchak because he took care of himself, he took care of Rav Nachman Yitzchak and this whole yeshiva. So it was natural for Yitzchak Hillel to ask Rav Nachman Yitzchak to find a match for his daughter. So who do you think he thought of for his daughter? He thought for his daughter would be, the, would be great for him to marry his best student. Who was the best student? Remember? Lipa Baruch, that's right. So Lipa Baruch gets married to Sadakil's daughter. They're married, and so he stipulated when they got married, because of the advice of Nachem Yitzchak, that for six years he should take care of him, six years he should um, support him. And uh, he, he, won't have to, he won't have to go to work. He should spend time studying Torah for six years. That was a custom of those days. People would just study Torah. And so someone could afford it. Like Tzadik Hillel, he would pay for his son-in-law to study Torah for those six years. But Tzadik Hillel, I mean, Lipa Baruch, although I told you how great he was, he had two problems, two deficiencies, two issues. What were the issues? Issue number one was that he was very arrogant. He was very full of himself. And this was natural because everyone complimented him and complimented him all the time. So it was natural for him to become very arrogant. But that wasn't the reason for him to boast. And he boasted a lot. Besides boasting a lot, he had another problem. You know what the other problem was? He was very jealous. He didn't want anyone to do better than him. And that's why he learned so much Torah. He learned so much Torah because he wanted... He wanted that no one else should do better than him. He wanted to learn so much Torah, he could be the best at the study of Torah. No one should know better more Torah than him. So therefore, he learned, he spent so much time studying Torah so he could be the best. So at the end of six years, many, many towns nearby heard about this great Torah genius. 
And they wanted him to be the rabbi of their town. But he, he looked at his other brothers-in-law. The other brother, brothers-in-law weren't studying Torah. They were taking care of different parts of the estate of their father-in-law, and he was thinking, you know, I could do the same thing. I could hang, hang out with a nobleman. I could also be prestigious. I could be important and hang out, hang out with the who's who of the Polish nobility, the landowners. This would be much better for me. I love to hang out with these important people. I don't need to study Torah so much. But his father was, listen, if you want to study more, want to stay inside the Torah, I'll support you. You don't have to go to work. He said, I want to go to work and I want to become, I want to take care of your estates. And he gave him a certain section of his estate to take care of. And he was very successful in taking care of the city. He wanted to be very successful. He was very jealous, right? He wanted to be better than everybody else. So he had a very short while. He learned the language of all the town squires and the noblemen. Who at that time, the, the Polish noblemen were living a very, very low lifestyle. They would play cards and gamble and drink. And, and it was very low style, low, low lifestyle. And, and this, um, this Lipa Baruch, he became very friendly with all of them. They all praised him. They all realized what a kind of smart guy he was and how friendly he was. And for him, getting hearing all these words of praise for him was like the air we breathe. He loved getting hearing all these words of praise. He loved hearing how special he was. And little by little, he got into this net, got entrenched. He got caught up with all of the um, praise he got from all these people. Because he was so smart, he was, remember, he was a musician also, he played the fiddle. And so, so this... this um, this got him, got, it, it derailed him. It made him not follow the path he should have followed. When he first came to take care of the estate, you know what he did? He made, he made a shul. He made a base medrash. He hired people to study Torah. And all the people in that, in that region weren't really knowledgeable in Torah. They didn't have a base medrash before. They didn't have a study hall before. They didn't have a shul before. But he made it all available for them. And it was really beautiful for them. And he, and he, and it was, he studied Torah there himself. And he taught Torah. It was nice. But after he got so connected with all these Polish noblemen and nobility, you know what happened? He stopped going to this synagogue. He stopped teaching Torah. He stopped being so religious. He got himself this horse and this this very prestigious horse and wagon, very expensive horse and wagon, very expensive carriage, noble carriage. He got better clothing than all the, the Polish noblemen. He sees that I could be better than them. He got better clothing than them and better. He lived a very luxurious lifestyle better than all of them, and, and he stopped being so religious. And you could imagine his teacher, Nachman Yitzchak, he felt terrible, because he was the one which induced him to take Hill to be a son-in-law. So he felt terrible that here, his, he, he said, you take care of this guy, Lippa Baruch is such a great guy. He turned out not to be such a great guy. He stopped, he stopped being so religious. So, so Nachman Yitzchak felt terrible. Nachman Yitzchak sent a message to his student, his previous student, now he's not listening to him anymore, is please, I want to talk to you. Send the messenger, please come to me and talk to you. Messenger comes, now remember, his student is now living this lavish, luxurious lifestyle. He has a whole court. And he sends a message back to his teacher. I would love to visit you, but I'm too busy right now. He sends a very nicely worded letter, very nice, very respectful. I'm just too busy. I would love to visit you. I can't. I'm sending you a horse and wagon, a prestigious horse and, car- and buggy ca- carriage to escort you to visit me if you can, if you have time. I would like to speak to you if you'd like to speak to me, but come to me. So the rabbi wasn't really sure what to do because he had to, He wanted his student to learn from him, but he, sent, he, he act, was sort of disrespectful. Yet he's telling him, you have to go to me, not, I'm not going to come to you. He said, he told the message to wait three days. And after the end of the three days, this rabbi said, you know, it's not right. To, for me to just consider my honor, when my student 
my former student is 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 drowning spiritually. I should go and visit him, even though it's not really respectful what he's saying. But I have to go and visit him. He goes to visit this student of him, Lipkut Babarach. But he decided he's not just going to visit him by himself. He took a ten people with him. He wanted to show his student how Jews are meant to be. He came with his ten people, a million of Jews together. He comes to Lipkut Babarach. Rebbe Baruch is so excited to see his former teachers. Let me show you what I've done. Let me show you my wealth. And he shows him his huge estate, this luxurious home and mansion he's built with all the things he owns. And his, his teacher says, such wealth, yes, but also such poverty. And he told him, you have to consider the way you really were before, what a Jew was about, and, and come back to your heritage and you're missing so much. You know what Rebbe Baruch did? He just smiled. Thank you, but no thanks. I refuse. No thank you. And the rabbi was very upset. He didn't forget about it. Every day, this rabbi, Nachman Yitzchak, you know he did? Every day before Mincha, he put on his talis and his tefillin, and he would turn to God, and he would pray from the depth of his heart to help his student with Babarach to return to Judaism, to return to his previous, previous ways. And every day he would do this before Mincha, he would spend time just davening for Lippa Baruch. One day, he's davening, and he just is overwhelmed with grief. And he breaks out and he calls out to Hashem. And he says, Hashem, please say Lippa Baruch from his own self and from his evil ways. Please say Lippa Baruch. And he breaks out and crying. He didn't notice that the young, tall man was standing near, right near him. And who was it? Lippa Baruch. told his teacher, do you recognize me? He didn't recognize him. He says, I'm your student, I'm Lippa Baruch. Please, I want, to, I want to come closer to the Torah. I need to know the way. I need, to, I need you to guide me. And to know the way of Hashem, please help me. So Nachman Yitzchak couldn't believe it, but he was so welcoming and so friendly. So he was so happy he came back. He said, listen, I, in order for me to know the answer to how to guide you, I need three days to think about it. Come back in three days. During those three days, Nachman Yitzchak called upon the leader of the hidden Sadiqim in, in Harki, Yitzchak Shol's father, Reb Nissen, the student of the Baal Shem Tov. Reb Nissen knew about this. You know why Reb Nissen knew about this? Because the reason that Baruch came back was because of someone who was sent by the Baal Shem Tov. Baal Shem Tov sent his student, Reb Ezreel Yosef, to reach out to Lippa Baruch and his other student, Ram Mendel, to reach out to Shun Chaim Shmuel. At the same time, they were given this mission, one of Israel, Israel Yasef, to, to bring back Lippa Baruch, and at the same time, another student of his, Avram Mendel, to go refine another certain Chaim Shmuel and to guide him. But so Lippa Baruch was, you know, his nobleman, and Israel Yasef is a student of Baal Shemtiv. He gets his mission from Baal Shemtiv. Baal Shemtiv didn't tell him how to do it. Is it to reach out to this person? How, he's thinking, how is he going to reach out to this guy? How is he going to bring him back? What's he going to do? How is he going to connect with him? This, this uh, guy is really lost. And he has this whole big court and he has all these servants. How am I going to even make it to even see him? He has, such, he has so many servants and servants of servants. How am I even going to see him? But he knew he has a mission. If Al-Shana gave him this mission, it must be successful. It must be it's going to work. He decided to follow. And he said, if I do say, what am I going to possibly say to him? So he said, you know what I'm going to do? I want to become a student. I want to become a worker. 
he, Rav Israel Yosef in general, while Shemtan encourages students, as mentioned before, to um, to mingle with people. Moshe Leib, Yitzhak Shol's brother-in-law, asked Yitzhak Shol, would Baal Shantav approve of being a parish? You know parishes? Parishes are hermit. People stay away from people, and they fast. They spend their time studying the Torah, away from everyone else. Would the Baal Shantav like that? Would that be a good, would they approve of that? And he said, no. Because you know what a hermit does? A hermit stays away from everyone, and everyone admires them. Ooh, they stay away from everyone, they eat very little, they drink very little, they sleep very little, they study Torah, and everyone admires them. But the Baal Shem told the students not to show how great they are, not to show how, um, how, how knowledgeable they are, to mingle with people and to teach other Jews what they know about the Torah mitzvahs to inspire them. They don't get the admiration of other people, they get the admiration of Hashem, what they're doing to reaching out and inspiring people. So such a person was Israel Yasef. He was a hidden tzaddik, a messenger, an emissary of Baal He decided the best path was this. He decided he's going to go and hire himself, try to find work in the estate of Lippa Baruch. He asked one of the people in the estate, can I can give me a job? His face, because he in his face is a very honest person. He in his face is very honest. Yeah, I have a job for you. He gives him a job. And this manager... The manager of, of, of this uh, Israel Yosef, he noticed uh, this, this, this worker, he wasn't Jewish, but this worker is a special worker. He's a special man. So honest and so sincere and so real. And he told Lippa Baruch about it. He said, you know, one of our workers here, you probably want to meet him. He's one of, he's, I think he's Jewish too. He's one of you guys. He's special. Lippa Baruch, he, he was a Torah scholar himself and he could tell who, that this man who came to the estate was a Torah scholar. He was surprised. Why would a Torah scholar want to work on the estate? Why would he want to work on this estate? It doesn't make sense. He said to him, why? Well, let me make it easier for you. Yeah, this is hard job. Let me make it but he said, I don't want anything easier. I don't want anything lighter. I want to work. I want to get paid to work. Don't give me anything easier. All right. And, he, and he, a little bit was very impressed with this guy. He wants to work. He wants to work hard. And he doesn't want things to be easier for him, doesn't want to, to get the, the respect of Zutim as a Torah scholar. And Lippa Baruch was thinking about this guy. He's a special guy. And one day he goes over to him and says, hey, let me talk to you about something. I want to talk to you about Judaism. Lippa Baruch had a formulated opinions about Judaism. And he had not such respectful opinions about Judaism. Because of, um, of, his, of his getting, since he got involved with, with this wild life that he was living, he, um, what happens is, is when someone um, wants to live a certain way, they justify it. They find, oh, this makes sense. This makes sense. You know, you know what I mean? When you want to have an excuse to live a certain way, so you find out reasons why this is okay. So he started realizing, realizing. He started deciding, oh, Judaism isn't true because of this. Judaism isn't true because of that. He had all these reasons. And he went over to Israel Yes, and he said to him, you know, Judaism is wrong. The Torah is wrong because of this, because of that. Joyce doesn't say anything. He listens, he listens, okay? okay. And he comes back to him a few days later to, to, to continue the conversation. And he says to him, you know, as I mentioned to you last time, the Torah is wrong because of this and this and this. As really Yosef says, well, actually, and he goes point by point, one, two, three, four, everything that Lippa Baruch was saying about the Torah, that wasn't, that, why the Torah is wrong, he proved to him that it wasn't wrong, that it was right, and it, may, and it was true, and it was correct, and it was, and it was, 
It was the best thing. And he, and he was so convincing, so logical, and so intelligent. In that Elimah Baruch was like, wow. We had a discussion here, but he won. He won the argument. He was correct, I wasn't correct. So Elimah Baruch came back into his house. He was thinking, you know, this guy was right. And if he's right, I'm wrong. I'm living the wrong life. I'm not supposed to live this kind of life. I'm living not the right kind of life. I have to change my ways. But what should I do? And he was like, I need to stop for all the things I'm doing. And he went over to his teacher, to this, um, this man. And he said to him, can you please tell me what I'm doing wrong? Guide me back to the path of Torah. So Yosef, he, he, um, he, wanted to, he wanted to leave to go do the next mission. He realized he inspired him. He said, I need to go now. But he begged and said, let me go with you. Let me travel with you just for a little bit. So Israel Yasef was, in those days, as I mentioned, Al-Shandam sent his student to go around different places and inspire people. So he spent three months, Israel Yasef spent with Lipa Baruch to travel together as regular poor beggars traveling town to town. That only a special thing about them. And uh, after three months, Israel Yasef felt that Lipa Baruch had learned enough. And that's when they parted ways. That's when Lipa Baruch, he told Lipa Baruch to go back to his old teacher. And that's when he came back to his teacher. And his teacher was in the middle, in the middle of diving, save Lipa Baruch. And that's when, that's when he turned around and he saw his old student, Lipa Baruch, ready to learn from him. And so Lipa Baruch, Baruch Hashem, um, he um, uh, went under the guidance of his teacher. He moved to another place. And he came back to the path of Torah and Mitzvahs. And um, for 10 years, he lived in one place as instruction of his teacher. And at the end of his life, he lived near, near his teacher. An interesting uh, conclusion of the story, the previous Rebbe said that one day, he, this uh, Baruch met his old teacher, Azul Yasef. His old one inspired him. He said, Azul Yasef. He said, it must be somebody else. He wasn't convinced. He knew this was, this was Israel Yasef. Israel Yasef couldn't, couldn't tell him who he was because he was on another mission of the Baal Shem. And that's, that's one story. I want to share another story, but I guess it took, it took a long time. Too long already, right, Rose? Okay. So that's a basic of, uh, inspiration of the story is, as we see from the Baal Shem, that he sent his students to help one Jew find his path closer to Hashem. And that's... What the Rebbe instructs us to do, to look around the other Jews, we're in time of Mashiach, we're in time where Hashem is about to blow the great shofar and bring us all back to him in Yerushalayim. Whether we're lost in the land of Asher or Mitzrayim, whether we're lost because of financial difficulties or spiritual difficulties, the affluence of, Mitzrayim, of, of Asher or the difficulties of Mitzrayim, the shofar is going to be blown, we're all going to come back. And to be here for this time, we're meant to Reach out and speak from the heart. Words come from the heart and enter the heart. Inspire the Jews. They are ready for the new year. The best way to get ready for the year is with joy. Reach out to another person and to get them in, to be more in touch with who they are. L'chaim, l'chaim.